0: Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Thank you, Scott. It's really a profound privilege to be with you again this morning. And after last Sunday morning service, um, I got a text from uh, scott that said that uh, this room was filled with grace and uh, i think isn't that what we need we all need that don't we with all the things that are going on in our world today and the things that are going on in our communities and in our families and and in our personal lives uh, we need to encounter a god of grace and mercy and i love those verses in the book of hebrews where Um, It says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted and tried in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. And then it goes on to say, the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I need that this morning. I feel we all need that this morning. We need to receive his mercy and and we also need to dispense his mercy to one another and, and to the people in our community. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So this morning I have a story that I'd like to read to you that confronts the way that we've been conditioned to think. In this world, we have not been conditioned to be very merciful people. I think we have some concept of justice, we have some concept of fairness, but I'm not so sure that we've been conditioned by our environment to be merciful. Uh, and, And this is really nothing new. It's the way that people have been from the very beginning of time. Jesus encountered a lack of mercy in his day. And in order to confront and correct our ways of thinking, he would tell these stories called parables. And I'd like to read one for you this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting with the very last verse of chapter 19 and then going into chapter 20. Matthew 19, verse 30. These are the words of Jesus. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? "'Because no one has hired us,' they said. "'He said to them, "'You also go and work in my vineyard.' "'When evening came, "'the owner of the vineyard said to, the fo- to his foreman, "'Call the workers and pay them their wages, "'beginning with the last ones "'and going on to the first. "'The workers who were hired "'about the eleventh hour "'came and each received a denarius. "'So when those, who, those came who were hired first They expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, I know this story. I've I've lived this story. It's been about 48 years, but I remember, like it was yesterday, I, I was a business and economics major in college, working my way through college, Northwest Nazarene College in Nampa, Idaho. I was working in a funeral home, of all places. And I worked hard and I made some sacrifices along the way. I had no social life because I started out as the night attendant, working every night and then going to school during the day. But I was paid a fair wage. That enabled me uh, to eventually graduate from a private college without incurring any debt. About three years into it, I transitioned from being the night attendant to a full-blown apprentice mortician, receiving incremental pay increases along the way. Now, Nampa, Idaho, a small town, it was about 25,000 people at the time. It's now over 100,000 people. But even with that small population, because there was a Nazarene college there, it had seven Nazarene churches. shows you how well they got along with each other, perhaps. (laughs) But not only did it have seven Nazarene churches, it had nine Mormon wards. Now, my boss, who liked to be called Big John, he was a very community-minded person, and he had hired several Nazarenes to help him make inroads into the Nazarene culture there. But he strategically realized that he needed to hire some Mormons to make some inroads into the Mormon culture, and so he did. And one of those Mormons, named Lewis Chadwick, was my age. He had no experience in this line of work, so I was given given the task of showing him around, kind of showing him the ropes. And on his first day, I asked him a question which I had no business asking. I said, "So Lewis, what are they paying you?" And he told me, and it was the exact same rate of pay that I was making after being there for three years. That did not sit well with me. And immediately this transformation took place in my heart and wasn't a good one. Immediately I went from being a content, satisfied, fairly treated employee who was making a good wage to a poorly treated, underappreciated, underpaid victim. Yes, I was a victim, a victim of religious discrimination. (laughs) Why should someone, just because he's a Mormon, get the same rate of pay on his first day of work that took me three years to get there? No, don't get me started. (laughs) I know this story that Jesus told. I've lived this story. That's not the only reason I picked it this morning. I I picked it because it's it's so hard to miss the point. There are a lot of scripture passages that are hard to understand. I'll leave those to Pastor Scott to decipher. (laughs) But I thought, this one I can probably take a stab at. As I said, sometimes when we look at a passage of Scripture, it's not—sometimes not very easy to get the point. But in telling this story, Jesus makes it nearly impossible to miss the point. In the this passage of Scripture, there's this, this literary device known as inclusio. Uh, I, when I read it, I hope you caught it. There, there are these two bookends. There are these, these, these brackets that frame the story— Right before he tells the story, Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 30, he says, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then after he tells the story, Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 16, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That's the point. I found it interesting that Jesus starts by saying, The first will be last and the last will be first. And then he ends by saying, in case you didn't get it that way, uh, let me reverse the order. The last will be first and the first will be last. And to help us understand the implications of that point, Jesus tells this story. And he starts the parable the same way he starts many of his other stories. He starts by saying, this is what the kingdom of God is about. This is what the kingdom of God is like. He's telling them, this isn't really an upside-down kingdom. Actually, he's saying, your perceptions, your understanding, your ways of thinking, that's what's upside-down. Let me set it right-side-up for you. In the kingdom of God, the last will be first, and the first will be last. The story, it really kind of stuns us, doesn't it? It upsets us. It's it's designed to confront our concept of, of justice and fairness, What Jesus is trying to do is to shake us free from a culture of entitlement, from this culture of grievance and maybe a stacked judicial system and and to free us up instead to a culture of grace and a culture of mercy. I think this is a message for us today. I think we know this story. I think Many of us have lived this story. It's six o'clock in the morning and the sun is just coming up and the landowner, he goes out and he hires some men to work in his vineyard and the six o'clock crew, they're negotiating with him. They negotiate with the landowner and he agrees to pay them what was a typical fair wage for a day, a denarius, full day's wage. They're happy. They work hard. They work through the heat of the day. They work long and hard all the way to 6 p.m., a 12-hour day. Now, early on in the the day, it's pretty evident to the landowner that that there's uh, more work to do than the 6 6 a.m. crew could handle. So the landowner, he goes out at 9 o'clock, and he hires some more men. And the 9 o'clock crew, they don't negotiate. The landowner just tells them, you come to work for me for nine hours, and, and I'll pay you whatever's right. I'll make it worth your while. And they say, whatever's right, whatever. And they do it. And the same thing happens at, at 12 noon. Uh, the crew that is going to work for six hours, and then at 3 o'clock, he goes out again, and he hires a crew that will work for three hours. Again, there's no negotiation. The landowner just simply says, I'll pay you whatever's right. And then at 5 p.m., the landowner finds some men that are standing around not doing anything. And he says to them, hey, guys, you want want to work for an hour? And they say, sure. And then at the end of the day, at 6 o'clock in the evening, the day is done. The landowner gathers all the workers together and he starts by calling forward the 5 p.m. crew the man who only worked one hour, and surprisingly, he pays them a full day's wage. Well, everybody's, you can just imagine, everybody's eyes get really big, and they start to do the calculations based on what they've seen, and they jump to the conclusion that they're going to get a full day's wage for every hour they worked, and based on this system, the Workers that work three hours are expecting, well, I'll get three days wages. And and all the way up to the workers who work 12 hours, they would get 12 full days wages. Incredible. You can just see the gears turning in their heads. But that's not what happens. The 3 p.m. crew that worked three hours, the 12 o'clock crew that worked six hours, the... 9 a.m. crew that worked nine hours and the 6 a.m. crew that worked 12 hours, they all get a full day's wage. So naturally, the 6 a.m. crew when they get paid even though they had received a fair wage that they had negotiated they began to grumble. They suddenly felt mistreated. When they compared themselves to the other workers, particularly to those that had only worked one hour, they began to sing that grand old hymn of the church. I've been cheated, been mistreated, when will I be loved? Aren't you glad I don't know all the words? I I know this story. I've lived this story, and, and frankly, it confronts my sensibilities, because in the world in which I live, in the culture that I'm a part of, there's this philosophy that the first should be first, and the last should be last, that if you work hard, and you put your time in, and You eventually, you know, that you do all that, you you eventually get to climb the ladder. And you know, the people that hang hang out and languish down there at the bottom rungs, well, you know, not everybody's destined for greatness. Not everybody deserves everything that I've worked hard for. And, And if they really wanted to, they could work hard. They could put the time in. They could make a better life for themselves. The first will be first, and the last will be last. That's just the way it is. The first will be first, the last will be last. And, And Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 no. That may be the mark of your culture. But this is what the kingdom of God is like. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The parable of the workers in the vineyard, it's in the middle of a whole bunch of discourses that Jesus is giving. He's At this point in his ministry, he's telling one parable after another. And I suppose that when we consider the divine nature of Jesus, he is Fully God. We, we could imagine Jesus just kind of standing there and getting these downloads from heaven and the stories are just coming. They're just flowing out of his mouth. These words of wisdom just flowing. But I wonder, when we consider the humanity of Jesus and he was fully human, I wonder if we could imagine that Jesus might be reacting to something. That maybe, maybe he's got a bee in his bonnet. Could he be reacting to a, a particular situation or a circumstance that needs to be corrected? And, and, and as he's thinking about that circumstance or that situation, he clearly, he sees that this is clearly in conflict with gospel principles and he's thinking about it and he's ruminating on it and and could he be wondering you know how can I get this kingdom thinking wedged into the minds of my disciples I'm imagining that the creative juices are just flowing in Jesus mind and he comes up with this story so that he can tell it to them and awaken them to a new way of thinking I started poking around in the Gospel of Matthew to see if there was a circumstance that perhaps that Jesus might have been reacting to that led him to the crafting of this story that would illustrate the point that the last will be first and the first will be last. And when I was poking around, I found this incident. in It's found a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Matthew and it's in Matthew chapter 15 there's this incident where Jesus and his disciples they're in this region of Tyre and Sidon and uh, and it's a pagan community and Jesus is confronted by a Canaanite woman a, a heathen a pagan an outsider and she was definitely not in the category of what we would call the first she was more in the category of the last but she's desperate and her daughter is being tormented by a demon and And she keeps crying out to Jesus and his disciples. This mother is saying, help me, Jesus. Have mercy on me. And Jesus, sensing that there's an unmerciful spirit in his own disciples, he decides to kind of draw out that unmerciful spirit in his disciples by seemingly agreeing with them. And Jesus starts by ignoring the woman. And the disciples, they're picking up on this. And they tell Jesus, yeah, Jesus, send her away, send her away. She's a pest. She's an annoyance. She's a, she's a pagan. She's an she's an outsider. She's undeserving. She's in the category of the last. Send her away. Get rid of her. But the woman kneels before Jesus and she says, Lord, help me. And and Jesus' response to her is just awful. I mean, if you look at At the surface level, if you take his words at face value, it's awful. He says to the woman, "It's, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. When Jesus is doing that, what Jesus is doing is that he's holding a mirror up to the ugly, unmerciful attitude of his disciples who thought this woman was nothing but an annoyance, nothing but a pest. And this outsider was not worthy of Jesus' attention. She cries out to Jesus for mercy, for a crumb that falls from the table. And this Jesus, who earlier in the gospel had preached, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy he showers mercy on this woman and he says woman great is your faith let it be done to you for you as you wish and her daughter was healed instantly i wonder if jesus was thinking about that incident and that woman when he tells this parable, this story, to illustrate how the last will be first and the first will be last. I poked around a little bit more in the gospel and and in the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, I, I found this debate going on amongst the disciples when they come to Jesus and they're asking, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's the first? Who's number one? And Jesus basically tells them, Don't fool yourself. It's not you. Truly, I tell you, he says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then it's in the very next chapter and then also in the one after that where Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Come to think of it, I don't think Jesus, when he tells this parable of the worker in the vineyard, is responding to a particular incident or event. I I think he's confronting a mindset that throughout history has been pervasive The mindset that the first will be first and the last will be last. And and because this mindset is so pervasive, it's, it's so hard to kill, he keeps confronting it and confronting it and confronting it. Five chapters later, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story about the sheep and the goats. And the whole theme of that story is that whatever we do to show mercy to the last... What Jesus calls the least, the marginalized, the imprisoned, the naked, the hungry, the sick, whatever we do to show mercy to them, whatever we do for them, we do for Jesus. I see this as a prominent theme in the Gospel of Matthew. The last will be first the first will be last you know this parable don't you i know this story i've lived this story it's been 48 years ago but i remember it like it was yesterday it was, happened several months after that other 48 year memory when i thought my boss big john had done me wrong by giving Lewis Chadwick the same working wage wage that I had received. Several months after that, I thought I was gonna get fired from my job. I'd heard rumors to that effect. At that college, that Nazarene College, I'd gotten into some trouble by publishing an underground newspaper. I thought it was pretty funny at the time. I thought it would be a harmless outlet for some of my efforts at creative writing. But somehow the college administration didn't see it that way and I was forced to withdraw. You you know, whenever there's a freedom of the press issue at, at, at stake, the media, they just go nuts. And so my picture was on the front page of the local newspaper and on the nightly television news. I felt like I was being sucked in this downward spiral. I had already been kicked out of school, and then I was being told that since my boss, Big John, was concerned about the image of his business in the community, that I would no longer have a job there. And when I heard that, I immediately went to talk to Big John. And I told him that I had heard these reports that I was going to be fired, I would be willing to offer my resignation. He he told me that he would have none of that. He said I was too good of an employee and that he wasn't swayed by the reports that were out there. I continued to work for him, and after one semester of being out of school, I was allowed to return to the college to finish out my last year. I tried to make up some of the coursework that I had lost by enrolling in summer school, but as I was approaching my last semester, it was clear that I would be two courses short of the requirements for graduation. Big John called me into his office and he told me that he wanted to see me graduate with my class. And I told him I was resigned to the fact that I would need to return for an extra semester and he mentioned to me that that afternoon, the college president was coming to see him to ask him to make his annual donation to the college. You're getting the story. (laughs) Big John told me he was gonna make a sizable donation and then he was gonna tell the president that he wanted Gary to graduate with his class. I told him, please, don't do that. He said, you leave it to me. (laughs) I don't know what happened in the office that day, but the next week, the academic dean stopped me in the hallway and he told me there was a path for me to graduate with my class, (laughs) that I could try to challenge a couple of courses by examination and receive credit for them. I asked what courses would they be? He said, well, Japanese literature. I was born in Japan, I lived in Japan, but through being 18. He says, we think you could do well in that course. (laughs) I said, what's the other course? He said, "Uh, creative writing. (laughs) We've seen your writing. We, We think you could do okay there too. And needless to say, I graduated with my class. (laughs) Now, I haven't shared that story very often because I would like people to think that I didn't take any shortcuts, that I didn't get any preferential treatment, that, you know, I scratched and clawed and worked and fought for every inch of progress in my life. The truth is, there have been times in my life and in my ministry when I've worked for an hour and got paid a full day's wage. I know this story, I've lived this story. By God's grace, there have been times that when I have pleaded with him for fairness and justice, instead, he's given me mercy. In this great cluster of stories that Jesus tells in the last half of Matthew's gospel, there's a stern warning given in the parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew chapter 18 where someone who has shown great forgiveness and grace and mercy and then that person turned around and refused to forgive and extend mercy to someone who is indebted to him. I don't want to be that person. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Simon, you and your worship team can come and join me here on the platform. I just want to give you, in closing, an application of this passage. First of all, an application for those of us who think we're in the category of the first. The first, that we deserve better treatment because of who we are or what we've done. For those of us who believe maybe that because we're Christian, we should dominate. We should be allowed to impose our values, our principles on everybody else. To those of us who think we're first, we we should be prepared to hear from Jesus telling us friends, I love the way he called, in this parable, he still calls them friends. Jesus would tell those who, in that category of the first friends, take a number and wait in line. And while you're waiting in line, consider some ways that you can be merciful to those who are last. The ones Jesus called the least, the hurting, the lonely, the marginalized, those at the lower rungs of society. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And here's an application for those who think they're in the category of the last. If you're thinking you're undeserving, like the Canaanite woman begging for a crumb to fall off the table... Realize that God has so much more in store for you. He's prepared for you a feast of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And if like the prodigal son, you see yourself as unworthy to be called a son, unworthy to be a part of the family, and you're ready to take any kind of subservient role that might be offered to you, realize that your heavenly father would have none of that. He'll come running toward you with his arms wide open with a robe and a ring and prepare a feast of a lifetime for you, even more than soup and buns. (laughs) That's not fairness. That's not justice. That's mercy. Because you see, the kingdom of God is nothing like we see here on earth. In the kingdom of God, the last will be first and the first will be last. So Lord Jesus, we come to you as the one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and lead us, we pray, to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen.